Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by John Scheifel. John, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I am excited to be here. Awesome. So for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, uh, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, for sure, for sure. Uh, so my name is John Scheifel. I am a chief technology officer, and I build internet companies. Uh, one way I describe it is I, I build skyscrapers. Uh, and this was more useful a long time ago when people didn't really get the internet. Um, and the analogy is this, uh, when you build a skyscraper, at one point there's a huge hole in the ground and the business or people might not know what's going on, but you know, you got to install the database, you got to uh, install your DevOps, all your backend, you know, and then you got to put up this whole structure. And even then when you get all the outside of the skyscraper looking good, it might not be ready to be opened. You got to do all the interior design. You got to wire every 10 floors for power and then every step down the power to every floor. It, it's really complicated. <laughs> I'll pause there. I didn't want to go too far down that. But. Sure, a lot of a lot of foundation, and then you know, eventually yeah. a lot of a lot of details for sure. Yeah, and then so you know, how how did I get to learn how to build skyscrapers? I think is is perhaps the interesting uh, question. Yeah, here. tell us. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from the Midwest, and uh, I went to MIT. Now I went to MIT. It was the best school I got in, so I just went. So. Uh, I don't, I don't want that to sound cavalier or anything like that. Um, I think computer science degrees used to be a very big deal. Um, I do not think that that is the case anymore. I'm just giving you my path. Uh, and frequently, um, there's a meme about learn to code. I'm like, okay, well, if you want to learn to code, then you should go to MIT for four years, which is not a reasonable <laughs> response. And I don't think that... Wait, you mean the, that people can't be software engineers if they don't study computer science at MIT? Uh Correct. Anybody can do it, um, which is very cool. It's uh, it's both never been easier to do it and never uh, never been more challenging, right? It's it's double-edged sword. Yeah, like fifty years ago, you couldn't build a website. Twenty years ago, you could. It's very different now, right? And so every year, it just gets better and better and more powerful. All right, um, Midwest MIT. Midwest, Midwest MIT. Uh, and so when I was at MIT, I did not want to do ones and zeros programming. I did not want to do bits, low-level, corporate, kind of drone programmer. I was not into assembly. I did not want to do anything to do with hardware. Uh, so for me, what was very lucky, uh, and so if you're in school... Uh, why, why didn't you want to do anything with hardware? I mean, I personally feel the same way, but... <laughs> and it's hard, and it's boring, and debugging is difficult, and I like the words, and, and I can give a variable a name, you know, and and understand it. Uh, I just It's just much more powerful. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just me, right? You know, I, I had to take some a little, couple Mech E classes. Nope. No way. You it's know? also expensive. Hardware is expensive. Hardware is expensive. Now, it's a much different era now, right? With Arduino boards, you know, it's super cool. Now I've done some stuff with like, you know, streaming players, you know, uh, that you put in like a business, like Legally Stream Music was one of the businesses I helped build. Uh, and that's all based on like, you know, Arduino boards and just, it's really cool what you can do now. Um, but back then, I did not want to do wires or program an EEPROM. I mean, I had to do it for school, but like, uh, it was too much. Uh, so the big thing for me uh, at the time, and this is like, you know, wherever you are, look for the, uh, the, the compelling things. Like if it's if you're at school, uh, if you're going through um, like a code academy, whatever. And so for me, it was the MIT Media Lab. Uh, and I was in a group called uh, Music and Computing and then Interactive Cinema. Interactive, interactive Cinema was fantastic uh, because... We had uh, Color Max. <laughs> they had come out, right? It was HyperCard. We were we were making visual interfaces. 
So um, interactive cinema, that's not like Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's no, I, I'll give you an example, <laughs> uh, which you can do today, right? So in 92, right, I was helping build a demo where it was a map of Boston and you would pick kind of a guide or a theme and then you would like draw a square on the map and it would put together a tour using these like customized mm-hmm. guides. Like, you know, I want the, the towny view of Boston or I want the historic, you know, 1700s view of Boston. I want the tea party story, that kind of thing. And it was all hacked. It was all canned, right? It was demo or mm-hmm. die was the motto. That was one of the first things I learned was demo or die. Just make it look good and make it work, whatever the context, and you'll get money and resources to do things. Um, so this was all, it was in hypercard. It was kind of hacked and canned, but you would draw the map and then like a route would appear on the map and little you would mouse over little areas and you get little tiny thumbnail videos, you know, walking you through. And so doing that kind of visual computing, visual interface was much much more interesting. I really love the internet in that um, I can build something and you can use it right away. Uh, I would mm-hmm. also say shrink wrap software as a big thing was not interesting to me. It, you don't really have it anymore. Not so much even in like. Yeah, the- it's really it's really gone away. I feel like the big the big shift or that like the final one was Adobe completely moving to to the cloud model. That was yeah, what I so- consider one of the biggest flagship. Yeah, and so for junior devs that don't know, you know, it's this waterfall form of development. I have to ship you a CD or a DVD with my game, my app, Windows, Word, whatever, on it. And then there's a bug. <laughs> and there's no, you know, before that, there was no internet. How do you fix it? Well, you, re- you release a new version a year later, right? It's these year, two, three-year um, development cycles. That That I didn't have as much... There was no internet quite yet, right? So I didn't quite get the fact. When I first started doing internet, I was like, oh my gosh, I could build something, someone can use it, and I can fix it right away. That is the coolest thing in the world. So I also got really hooked on that very early. Um, well, anyway, so for me, the the college part was not quite saving grace, was but was this MIT Media Lab. Just this really good environment. It was creative. Uh, and I was just kind of doing just visual things with coding. Um, so that, that was very, very interesting. Um, and uh, so the, the real question then for me was, and this is, I think, a big challenge, especially anyone, I think, growing up, but also, you know, junior to senior. What do you do? Where do I go? And so I didn't necessarily have a specific goal, right? I didn't have a goal of like, as, as a young child, I'm going to MIT. But, you know, I had enough parameters. I'm like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a good school. I want to do computers. You know, here's this is how I have a good chance of getting into MIT. Um, for, um, but for my life, right, I didn't think, like, I want a house at 25. I want a million bucks at 30. You know, I want to be a tech leader. I want to be a manager. I, didn't, I had no clue. I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, also, I had just gone through MIT, which was uh, intense. Sometimes I'll joke that I was institutionalized for four years. Like, oh, did you go to college? I'm like, oh, no. well, I was institutionalized for four years. So like, what? Uh, you know, it's a different, different environment, I think, than many schools. Um, so uh, what ended up happening then was I took a year off um, of work. Across the street from, I got a job uh, at a research lab, helping them figure out the next generation of research. And so we were doing learning environments for children, which, again, was all. This was um, Macro Media Director, which mm-hmm. became Flash, mm-hmm. like a decade or more later. And we were doing learning environments for children. The zoo, the zoo circus, the circus, right? Kind of how do you imagine an environment where kids around the world can log in? It would do things like these little bots would like auto translate you know, different languages and stuff. And again, all hacked, all canned, nothing real. You could do that now. You could not do this back then. Um, and so also as part of 
you know, perhaps one of the dangers on like maybe the college side is I, I did really bleeding cutting edge work early in my career, which is very exciting, but it's very hard to, um, you either commit to that for your life or you, you start, kind of, I think you do other stuff. It's, it's hard to make money at that in a dedicated, consistent way without maybe staying in academia or, you know, I'm going to go to uh, George Lucas and work, you know, follow up the, the uh, special effects food chain. Back then that was kind of the thing, or try to find out about Pixar and get into there. Um, anyway, so I didn't know what to do with myself. I had no idea. However, um, as a Midwestern kid, uh, going to school in Boston, met a lot of kids from California who said, you would really like California. And working at um, the Media Lab, back in 90, the early 90s, San Francisco was called Multimedia Gulch. And that was kind of the center of CD-ROM development, so or the main hub. So I'm, I ended up deciding to move to San Francisco in part because that was where I knew visual computing kind of jobs were. If I stayed in New England, it would have been more, maybe more biotech-y. I could have gone to like uh, Southeast US, like uh, Research Triangle Park, uh, area near chapel hill i think and uh but that that's a good area to go now but like not quite what i wanted and and so it was san francisco because of cd-roms now um in part i think techies have access to all these like cool you know devices communities you're kind of getting into things before everybody else and so i was on some of these like um kind of back then it was rave music but like techno electronica mailing lists and and this one thing called V-Ray, which is this little Telnet-based chat. And so I met this guy, Brian, uh, Brian Bellendorf. Turns out, um, just to make the long story short, he's the he was the 17 or 18-year-old chief technology officer for Wired magazine, <laughs> right? Like, what? <laughs> what is happening there? And so uh, we were friends. He came to Boston. We went record shopping together. And then you know, he went back to San Francisco. But then he heard I was moving out, uh, you know, in this little Telnet chat, said, hey, you want a job? I said, Sure. <laughs> dot dot dot. What? <laughs> Where? What? You know, he's like, yeah, have you heard of Wired magazine? And this was like the second or third issue of Wired magazine had come out. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, for sure. Like a friend of mine, a classmate of mine, had a comment in the first issue, like a letter to the editor. I'm like, how mm-hmm. did you know this magazine was coming out? Um, but yeah, I totally knew what it was. So I ended up getting a job at Wired magazine in 1994, right when I moved to San Francisco, and they were, and this is one of those. It's, I call it manufactured luck, but it's kind of like, it's serendipity. It's the right time, right place. How do you make this happen? Well, part of it was like, I had a good background. I had a good degree. Now, mine was more, let's say, pedigree at this point. Like, and I want to get back to the, how, how to not have a CS degree and do this. But, um, you know, I, I was, the way I was into music, I was into music not for like, because I just wanted to party and you know, get wasted. Uh, there might've been a small amount of that, but I really was just into the music and finding the stuff I liked and learning to DJ and things like that. Right. And so it, it was just all these things just kind of combined where no one else interviewed for that job. Now, the other thing was, um, yeah, I mean, the, definitely a theme on this show has been the, the importance of community and building relationships mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's just so often that somebody who knows you and knows what you're capable of will wind up giving you a shot at trying to turn, they'll yeah. try and work with you. And if you say yes, no one, no one else is going to be able to even get that job. And of course, the flip side is there's a ton of these jobs out there that you'll never hear about if you don't know the right people because yeah, it'll, get, yeah. it'll get filled before it ever goes out on a job board or anything Yeah. Like now, that. here's the thing about Wired Magazine. I think it now might be called Wired Digital, what we were doing, but it was what we were building was called Hot Wired, which 
most people don't know what that is anymore, I'd say. But it was online version of Wired Magazine. They had a Gopher version. There was an AOL Rain Man version, right? Uh, I wrote a script to automate <laughs> conversion like, to Rain Man and Gopher. Anyways, um, but uh, I argue that this was the first commercial internet company. There were websites, but there were no companies that I could discern online. Specifically, no one was trying to make money online. Go even further, Wired Magazine invented the ad banner. They were the first company to sell ads on the internet. Now, I, my first three months at Wired, I was an intern, a $100 a week intern. Now, this is where it starts to get interesting um, as far as like, oh, you had this like advanced degree. Like, why didn't you go to these big accounting firms? I'm like, I didn't want to be a cog. I didn't want to be a ones and zeros programmer. Um, I had a, a good friend of mine, classmate. He went to Sapient. Sapient is one of the big tech consulting firms. They are huge. They are MIT people top to bottom, right? It, like 80% MIT. Uh, and he was like, why don't you work there? Like back then, he's like, you can get 60, 65K a year. Easy. I was like making a hundred bucks, right? And I think <laughs> when I actually went, got hired, it was like 17K in 1994, right? Bad, not even, not even remotely good. But it didn't matter because when I looked around where I was, the environment was awesome. Um, and I'll kind of come back to the sacrifice yeah, I made. You don't, yeah, you don't. When you take a position, you're not only getting paid in salary. Correct. Correct. Right. And I'll come back into much more concrete terms about how to measure that and, and use it. But at the time, I knew it was just a cool environment. And, I, and I, it'll kind of accelerate into the learnings and, and how I got to where I was. But um, so the gist was by day, building this kind of online content site, right? An online magazine, basically. By night, for money, I was launching Volvo.com, Sybase.com, that old database company, Zima.com, right? So six, <laughs> maybe eight advertisers. When Hotwire launched, they could invoke their hype machine, which, by the way, one reason I, I don't get, like, people like, you don't seem excited in my idea. I'm like, don't don't take this the wrong way. The fact that I'm still talking to you means I'm, I'm interested. I just have, I was inoculated with the largest dose of internet kind of Kool-Aid ever, right? The, the, the wired hype machine is almost unparalleled. So, um but it was the first commercial internet company, and it was just this amazing experience. So, um, you know, I took my advanced degree, moved somewhere super interesting. It was an undergrad degree. I don't want it to sound fancy, but took my good degree, moved somewhere interesting and challenging where I had done, I had done enough research to, to know I, there would be good work. And then um, just tried to meet a lot of people, um, which is hard, was very hard for me to do. Uh, one of the, I had to learn, uh, by the, I had to learn some social skills and cues, right? I'm not. You know, I don't want to make it seem like I'm autistic or on a spectrum or anything like that. But um, one of the things I was very fortunate to get into, there's this community called Thursday Night Dinners in San Francisco that this company, Cyberganic, put on. And it was every Thursday night. It was kind of like a potluck thing. And I mean, it was mostly us like early, mid-20s, just young kids, basically. And I, I say that kind of love. I'm just trying to give you a tone. Everybody was super young back then. Nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> literally funny yeah and in la i remember after college i got part of a group that was called geek dinners um yeah i went to some of those yeah yeah -hmm. yeah i forget her name but she had purple hair heather vescent yes heather vescent there you go yeah yeah and so these thursday night dinners were great just because i met just tons of super cool people and you know i was a little bit like hey let's go on the back porch what are you guys talking about like well what do you think of the http 1.1 spec i'm like bye (laughs) you know (laughs) i I, I don't want to do that uh, but it was just this—it was just this fantastic group, and those people have gone kind of everywhere, and it was like a good mix and cross spectrum of, you know, we were in like Soma and San Francisco and South Park, like we were in the kind of the hub of the core of San Francisco where all this blew up. Uh, but anyways, so uh, back to the 
this sapient where my buddy, he got a you know, 65K a year at this big tech consulting firm. I, you know, so I went for an interview and I had like three strikes on my head. The first was like, they had me sit down and take a test, right? Which I hate tests. I don't like programmer tests. I just don't like them. In part, I think because of this experience where I took this test. And I'm like, I don't know if this test was engineered to make me feel bad or if they think this is what goes into tech. But like, I don't really know any of this stuff. I mean, I can learn it. I can, you know, I don't really know C, but I can learn it. And I'm honest. I'd say out of 10, I'd say, I know C is a three, right? I, I think mm-hmm. they wanted a nine or everyone probably said nine or 10. And also, I know that, like, I don't know anyone using these these technologies. It was also super early, but, like, and Sapien, I know, like, wrote all their own servers. You know, they, they were going to do that anyways. But so the first thing was I, was I took a test. I was like, this is just the wrong test. Uh, the second thing was um, I started talking to the potential boss. And he's like, you know, by the way, everyone you're from MIT, everyone here from, is from MIT. And that, that was a big actual strike for me because I was just burned out on Friday. You just didn't, didn't want more of that. Yeah, I was like, it's just too competitive. I don't need that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to fight. Like people would fight over computer terminals and I'd be like, this is silly. Um, we should share, <laughs> you know, we should, <laughs> let's, let's all learn together anyways. Um, and then the third part was that, um, as a interviewing a peer, the guy said, uh, he goes, Oh, my boss is really cool. I'm like, why is that? He goes, see this shirt. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I worked all weekend and my boss bought me this shirt for the client meeting Monday morning. And I'm like, and <laughs> for a shirt right it was the, 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 anyways it was just this cultural you know i was just like this wasn't for me and by the way i'm at wired magazine and like the geeks the freaks the like like um the edge just walks through the office like i don't really care about celebrities i'm just t- telling you celebrities would walk through the office right that's why i'm like i don't care they're like in la in partic- particular they're like it's like oh like brooke burke's gonna be there i'm like don't care like so uh you know it doesn't matter um let's talk business okay so sapient wasn't for you no it was not so um i I went the wired route. Now, this is where things I think become, you know, this is less, much less about my history and more about what I find useful and practical. So at the time, you know, I had an 18-year-old manager. I was like 22. We hired one guy. Um, he went on to like manage lead stuff at Google, but like he was like 28, right? And that was my last like three months there. And so there was no management, no leadership, right? Um, it was just kind of a mess. And you can kind of look at they. Wired tried to IPO twice, got laughed off the market. So they weren't a tech company, but they tried. And they could have done some really cool, fun stuff. But it was there that I kind of learned my first um, framework or way of learning. Okay, And what I named it is, uh, I call this training and cross-training. And what happened was, because I, you know, I could do the programming, right? Front end, back end. Back then, it was all just the mix. But uh, I could program it. I could build it. Also, because of my Media Lab experience um i could do the ui and, and i had built web. i was the only person they interviewed that had actually built the web page before right mm-hmm. and the the job description said willingness to learn html never seen that before in my life after <laughs> that um but um because i could both build and imitate the ui what i started doing was um as i started working closely with the wired designers right i could kind of get it close you know jokingly use the garish you know the hot pink electric green colors or whatever um, but I could start to emulate. So instead of having conversations of like, move this one pixel to the right, you know, or fix that typo, it was much more of a design discussion, right? Yeah, it was a desired effect or outcome. Yes, yes. Um, it was much more collaborative in that sense. And so I have this framework now. It's called training and cross-training. And I do think it works. So this is what training is. So if you think you're a, if you're a programmer, okay, well, what goes into programming? Okay, so that's what, how do you train to be a programmer? I'm like, okay, well, you're going to learn some programming. Great. You're going to also need to learn some tech QA and testing, right? Maybe a little data, maybe, you know, there's a whole blend of other things that you need to learn. 
Um, now, I want to be a data programmer. Okay, there's a whole list of data stuff. I want to be a database programmer. There's all kinds of like very specific tech you can learn. But then don't forget about, you know, now if I, I take a step up, I'm a tech lead. By the way, if your job has the word lead in it, if you're a tech lead, you're the project manager. You know what I mean? Like you're managing three, you're, you, I'm not directly managing these four other engineers, right? Yeah, but they're junior to you. You assign them tasks, right? You're, you're the project. Oh man, I was just, I, I know, I was just having a conversation how I consider being a tech lead is one of the hardest jobs you can have. It's a hidden combination. title until someone tells yeah. you what it means, right? And then if you know what it means, then you're like, oh, well, geez, like I've never been a project manager, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, project manager is training, not cross-training, by the way. Uh, meaning like I took a job at Hilton Hotels Corporate. I took a Fortune 500 job mostly to exercise large-scale pro political project management and gain that experience, which is very, very useful. Um, so training, right? So this is all the things that go into being a programmer. Now, what's the next step up? Maybe a team lead, a tech lead. Now, you got to be aware of like a management track or a skill track is the very simple ways to think about it. But what's your goal? I want to build my own things as like a tech leader you know, I need a lot of team people around me, or am I more of like an inventor, that kind of innovator, right? Whereas maybe it's just a smaller set of people, but a more specific hardcore tech. You know, there's many ways that that can go, but whatever. How many plates do you want spinning at a yeah, time? Yeah. So, but now if I'm a team lead, right? Well, how much project management experience do you have, right? Okay, we'll start taking classes. Let's do this, right? Let's, you need to have that experience. Um, there's also some product management experience in there, right? Uh, one thing I've learned is just because I know how to build it doesn't mean I should be the only person designing it, right? Which so many times they just, oh, here's the idea, go build it. Especially earlier, and not that you'd build it wrong, but they'd be like, oh, that's not what I was thinking it was. It's like, well, <laughs> I had one guy, one CEO try to tell me, like, I'm going to go fundraise, so I'm going to go away for 30 days and not talk to you. I'm like, no, you can't do that. That doesn't work. Um Anyway, so the training, right, you know, knowing how to QA, you know how to test uh, product management, project management. For me, I put user experience and design. It depends how far you go. but enough. Okay, so this is all training? Yeah, it parts. Like, you need to know enough. Like, and so if I, do you really like the front end? Well, how much, how far do you want to go in the front end, right? Learning about front end and good frameworks and specializing iOS versus Android versus all apps. Um, now, and, and by, it, it might blur a little bit with your own situation with training and cross-training. Okay, so what's cross-training? Okay, so cross-training. Now, let's say you want to be like a director of engineering or a CTO, a technical architect, right? Skill track, management track. Cross-training is things like it, it's going out of your way to learn and speak the language of business development, marketing, sales, creative, design, user experience, right? Um, in, 19, in 98, I started a company with, uh, there were five, four other guys. We got up to 180 people, like 70 million in funding. Um, and um, uh, where was I going with that? Um, oh, and we had the business, the biz dev guy, this guy, Bud, one of the co-founders was just phenomenal. Like I learned so much from him, right? As founders, we discussed how does the, how do we talk about the company with small business? How do we organize the space and all that? He took that and ran with it and did this like four by four grid. And then, and so there'd be 16 squares in this grid and we knew what the two axes were and he'd, ex, you know, explain the axes, which we already knew, but he's like, okay. In each square, you'll notice either one dot or four or five little dots. If there's one dot, it means that square is locked up by one company. If it's little dots, it means it's like three to five people own that space. My commitment to the company is to close 12 of the 16 squares, whether it's the one big dog or two or three of the little guys to lock those squares up for ourselves. That got us so excited, right? Just him being able to explain it, right? So 
for me, it started so it like a good framework for, yeah. for, yeah, absolutely. So for me, it started as, and by the way, when we, when we, as part of building this co-branding was a big part of what we were doing. So he presented this thing, this thing to us and he's like, well, what do you need? He's like, well, you know, you got the product. I really just, you know, co-branded it. And then we just look at each other. I mean, like three or four other people were like, oh yeah, co-brand. Like we just forgot about co-branding. <laughs> we freaked, we kind of freaked out, but within 48 hours we had integrated it. Um, the way they wanted it and then we presented it back to the this guy in the biz dev team and he's kind of funny he kind of looks at us and goes okay all i really want to know is how long does it take you to launch like office max or you know something like that staples and we, we look uh two hours and he just looks at us and goes, that's not gonna work and we're like what like two hours to onboard a big company like that he's, he goes well i was thinking like 30 days and we're like what are you taught 30 days he's like well I close the deal and then I ask them for the assets and their color palette and logos. It takes a week for them to send it. Then you guys get a week to make it and then they get a week to review it and then we get a week to finish it off and launch it, right? And by the way, I might, I want to close like 30 of these, you know what I mean? Like 20 to 30 of these. So you're going to get a bunch hopefully over time. And it just all made sense then, right? We were Mm -hmm. all together. We were all speaking each other's language. So for me, you know, it's a little bit your path and vector, right? Like I'm just going to go talk to the CEO about business. Like "Eh, you might not be comfortable doing that, right? So I started with design, right? Got really comfortable there. And so um, this is the cr- this is the the cross training. Yeah, this is back to yeah. training, cross training, right? So and no, so now you know if you want to be a CTO, like let's say you don't look as QA management, let's say or automation. I'll just do my unit test, but you don't really care about the rest of QA. Well, if you're going to be a tech leader, even a tech architect, you then you do need to know that stuff. You might not run it as tech architect, but you surely would architect build it and enforce it. Whereas as you know, CTO or director, you may run it, you may just enforce it. Dot 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 dot. Um, so, you know, as you become a CTO, right, you're never trained as a tech person. You're never trained in management. You have to go out of your way to kind of get it right. So um, I'll just kind of pause there just so we're kind of like up to like I'm like think I'm like 28 or something like that. Uh, but the big thing for me was this training and cross training. So how does. OK, so so we so we've got our dear listeners. How do they how do they use this framework to to, I guess, help their career? Like, how do they think about it? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, if I think of something like, um, like a code Academy graduate, whether it's general assembly or maybe a more immersive, uh, type of program first, and it's, it's a chicken and egg thing. There is, there is that moment, right? Getting your first, second kind of third gig, you know, when, when you are a tech person, life becomes good. It is much less challenging finding jobs and things like that, but getting into it, right. is tough. It's challenging. So, like, you know, what I found this amazing guy to, from General Assembly in part because um, I hired the teacher and then I said, who's the best student? And they said, this guy. Now, he was a former accountant. So um, it used to be that, like, oh, if we're hiring CS graduates. Physics and math are good degrees as well as I don't theater science. Theater majors were awesome. I, I met so many theater majors. I don't know why. I don't know. I can't explain it, but they, they're very amenable to tech. Um um okay i slightly derailed myself where am, okay uh where am i now all right so we want so we want to know how does the the training and cross training like how do, how do people use this to their advantage okay so it's training right you're going to learn some basic skills right and and they're going to be a, a, on the abstract side in the or general side right you're not learning like let's do this hipaa healthcare thing let's make a game i mean you are doing those things but like by the way one tip do not present school projects as work because I can tell. 
Uh, just mar- <laughs> if you're going to market as projects to have the experience because you don't have any, that's fine. But just don't present it as a business you built and ran, uh, which I have seen. Um, okay, so there's this chicken and egg, right? So part of it is like, you know, if you're in school, if you're in class, right? Um, are you talking to the teachers? Right? When I was at MIT, I sat in the back and I never talked to anyone. I, would, I wouldn't do that now. <laughs> you know, it's just a, I'm yeah. different. I'm different. But um, especially if it's on your own dime. Um, and I think if you're more self-taught, it's a different scenario not that you're forced to go to cs school but it's almost an easier you kind of program four years of your life something like that um so the first thing then is you have a basic kind of general set of skills and everyone's going to tell you like find something you love and are passionate about well the hard thing is you might not be able to get to do that i want to work at google or which by (laughs) which as an end of itself i don't think is great but if you want to work in in a specific part of google doing like automated yeah if you like fall in love with search or or you want to work on mobile operating systems or something like that they're probably one of the best places to do either of those things and part of it is like i i could never decide in a sense like what to build or what to do right so a lot of it is just getting exposed to as many people as you can which and one of the things i want to mention um when i learned when i moved to san francisco a lot of i had to learn a lot of kind of social stuff in a sense again not that just I think in part who my personality is and, and it's a stereotypical tech person. I don't learn things like, well, West Coast versus East Coast. If you, the party starts at nine or the event starts at seven, no one's going to be there till an hour later. That's just, a, I don't know, West Coast thing. I had to learn how to get out of conversations I did not want to be in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, finish my water. Oh, I'm thirsty. I need to go get another water and don't come back. Or even just learning to like, oh, I got to go talk to that person. There's all these little tips and clues you can just do. Um, little things like in networking, if you go to an event, you don't know anybody. Just listen in on people and then just start, try to connect people that don't know each other. You might not know, you know, one example I use is in DevOps, you know, when Puppet and Chef were really big and competitive, I went to a DevOps meetup. I still didn't know enough people then. And I just met, I, I knew one guy who was good at Puppet. And then I heard this other guy's good at Chef. As soon as they got close enough, I said, oh, hey, you know Puppet, you know Chef, which one's better? And then I just, stuck <laughs> right? So I tend to use contrarian, you know, like, Oh, you do iOS? Hey, you like, too. Fight to the death. Bye. Yeah. How come you don't do Android? <laughs> yeah. Android's so much better than iOS. Uh, just stuff like that. Just more go. Draw you out more than anything. So connecting people is a really good skill. Little little things like um, you go to a meetup. This is more I got from courting my wife. But Okay. So I'm not. So so does this connect to the, the, the training, cross-training? Or is well, this just in general? Sense, yes. It's okay. less. It's This is more my own. I don't know shortcomings and adequacies so okay let me say it like this i built a company up to 180 people right uh, by the time i was 30 i could not talk in front of all of those people at that time i could do it now i could not when i i, I when i left the company i wrote a letter i had someone else read it because i would i couldn't have done it i could do it now it, it's a lot right, of that so, was, okay so that's public speaking and and i guess yeah, getting so comfortable yeah, with that's more of yeah. like kind of my my personal journey part you know there's, but is that is that a skill that's important for for a junior dev to, to learn so that they can advance i'm going to argue it's more about confidence and the ability to communicate right because if you want to be more like a skill tracker and architect i i could like i don't know i might stereotype you as maybe you're more finicky or you, you know you just get maybe more upset just because you have this vision and you're going to drive at it and you're going to do awesome cool stuff and at a certain point i'm not going to really understand it and that's okay <laughs> uh Versus, uh, okay, I just derailed myself again. Um. <laughs> so, okay, so you're you're touching on a couple of points that I think are really important. Um, the the social skills, the communication, um, those are themes that have 
certainly come up a number of times. Uh, I think it, I think, I think people who have been very successful tend to have those qualities. Um, and some of them get to get to practice and develop those skills in different ways. Uh, you know, if you're in developer relations, you really do get pushed to be on stage. Um, a lot of your job is connecting with other developers, finding out what what motivates them, what they're interested in, being able to to develop yeah. talks and content that are helpful like, for they them. They don't really have evangelists anymore, but like a sales engineer might do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, so, and yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just going to say, and and people in those roles tend to have really good opportunity for for developing those skills, and it winds up helping them translate yes. into product managers or other uh, engineering um, yeah. leadership. So maybe I'll add a third category, like personal training, right? In the sense that, so sometimes, so when you go from a developer to dev lead, uh, and you know are you comfortable bugging the three or four other engineers for their status? Just the mm-hmm. constant, right? Like, oh my gosh, like maybe two of them are really good at updating, you know, the tracker and one guy never does. And anyway, you know, how do you have these conversations? It's late, it's this, it's that. Um, those are skills you you want to develop. And sometimes it's just practice. Sometimes it's just exposure, right? Just getting more comfortable doing it, taking a class. Um, mentorship is a really big deal. Um, I was fortunate in that I was able to surround myself with very bright, smart people. But my career, a lot of them were really at my level. Um, the biggest, the best thing we did, this one company, you know, we hired our own bosses, right? Never be so so much hubris that you you will you know everything, right? Um, but but look for mentorship wherever you can. Um, I uh, participate in this LA CTO forum, and I think I ended up going to like the third or fourth meeting. This is like 18 or 20 years ago. Um, but part of it is like I do, I do like to meet people. Uh, in the last year, I had one of my engineers say, um, "I have a question. I'm like, what? Like, when you go around and talk to people, like in other groups, do you like it?" <laughs> and I, I go, "Actually, I do. I now look at it as like a break, rather than like this anxiety moment of like, oh, I have to interview you and figure out what you want." And you that's interesting. Like, hey, do you think it's? Do you think on? that that enjoyment was cultivated, or yes. is it you just got as you got better at it, you you started to like it more? As I got better at it. So one of the things I, early in my career, I realized I wanted to do really big things. My, my dad taught me to like kind of own your destiny. He, he wasn't like start a company, like do that. He was just more of like, just own whatever you do. And um, that was a big part of it. Um, so part of it too is I've always been social, but I always had this like social anxiety about it. So a big part was there, there's a lot of advice I have. How do you break through that social anxiety? There's things like, do you DJ? Do you play in a band? Um, at one point, uh, this is early, I think when w- early 2000s, World of Warcraft, I was leading like 40-man raids, <laughs> which is, you know, ranging from like 15 years old to 60. Like, that's a map. That's actually good experience, right? And it's a little anonymous because mm-hmm. A, it's a game. B, it's just voice. You're not, you know what I mean? So there yeah, are I, th- I think, yeah, I think in some ways it's it's safe. It's it's lower risk. Like if you fail, you're not going to really kill anyone in real life. You could you could certainly cause a yeah. raid wipe. But I think I think developing that comfort with people's eyes on you and their attention is is required. I think yes. As you advance your career, your impact needs to grow. 
um, even if you're on the the individual contributor side, um, you need you're going to be expected to impact more and more people, and because yep. because of that impact, more and more eyes are going to be on you. And if you're not comfortable with that, um, it's really going to hurt your performance. And so it it really helps to find ways, like you mentioned, like DJing and and leading raids and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, attending yeah. meetups, giving talks. All of those things can build that comfort. Well, that's one of the, I I mentioned this LACTO forum, like there, you know, there's selfish and holistic reasons, holistic. I want to give back and do some stuff, but selfish, (laughs) you know, I want to learn about gigs. I want to learn about this. Like, so for me, pitching my company to investors, not a big thing. Talking to pitching something in front of other tech peers is the hardest thing for me. So I made a point of doing that. Like I get all sweaty and, you know, so by the way, you can do little things like volunteer with JavaScript LA, right? Help set up the meeting certainly right? like, not javascript la because uh you guys have a we, lot but we go, we go by jsla <laughs> sorry i meant yeah, okay. sorry my mistake uh you know jsla right like when you go back to having live events or even if it's curated right it's little things like maybe you're not formally helping but if the pizza shows up right just help help set up the pizza you know then mm-hmm. people are going to ask you when's the event start you're like uh, hey when's the event start then you have that answer you know, then you start to become this expert you start to become involved in the event um, you start to figure out like what I like to like if I go to a JSLA event right now, like I want to know I see who you're talking to, then I'm gonna want to talk to to them. I'm like, oh, there's that carbon five guy. Who's he talking to? I'm gonna go say hi to him. He'll be excited to see me. Then the other people seeing his excitement will then want to talk to me. Dot dot dot. Right. So you also want to use you might not be comfortable doing it. You gotta do it, whether you're an individual contributor or not. Find ways that you're comfortable going. Go with a friend, go with a buddy, right? Um, by the way, I, I like taking my teams to events. Um, I've worked at, I've had CEOs say like, aren't you afraid of being poached? You know, getting your people stolen. I'm like, no, because we are the source of gravity. <laughs> people come to us. I'm like, whoa, you know, either because of the confidence, like that's the teams I build, you know? Uh, but you know, I take my team and, and I, and I, it's coaching them, like get two business cards, meet two people that are relevant. You can't just talk to like the marketing guy who's getting wasted in the morning. He has no reason to be <laughs> right. And, Anyways, and you're anxious, so you started drinking a beer, uh, which is fine. But, uh, you know, don't you just find ways you know, to make it interesting and then then wrap it up and find ways to um, like. So for me, I, I for a long time, I was on the speaker wrangling committee, right, which is involved both trying to find people to speak as well as um, walking them through that process and getting a good presentation. Right. So that's a good exercise right outside. When are you going to get to do that in your own company? Not a lot of options for potentially things like that. Um, so, you know, it, it's important to get active. And I think JSLA probably has like different subgroups, like the CTO forum has a mentorship group. There's all these like subgroups you can get. So whatever, um, you know, there's a CTO I know who has, uh, he's kind of, you know, much closer to my age, but like you can visibly tell his social anxiety. Right. And mm-hmm. so I, I just talking to him like, Hey, do you want to do the announcement for this XYZ thing we've been doing as part of the group? He's like, Oh, da, da, da. I'm like, here's the deal. You're just presenting information. You know the information. You help write it. Uh, nobody knows that you're not, you know, you're nervous or, you know, I didn't say lacking confidence, but, you know, so just get up there. They're going to think you're the expert and that will change your opinion of either yourself or what you're doing. And I could see him getting stronger over the last couple of years, just the way he talks. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it it's interesting how how much that that has come up in this conversation is the the community aspect the social skills, the communication, um, developing relationships. So yeah. it, let's say someone is 
you know, a junior developer, they're out of out of a, a boot camp or something like that. What, like, why are these things important for them? Or is this, or is this something that just needs to be worked towards in over the longer term because that's just what they're going to need for uh, to make the jump to more of tech leadership or, um, you know, more architect it's a, roles. It is like a longer term focus, I do mm-hmm. think. Um, you know, you got to focus on doing what you do and doing it well. Right. But, you know, I know I know a lot of developers, you know, you might even be in an early stage startup. You're in a company. You don't have good management, technical management, or you don't have good business leadership and you're just kind of floating. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to judge that situation either way. I'm just saying it's good to know you're in that situation. Right. Whether the company's mm-hmm. positive and the nice way to say it is like maybe, you know, you got hired and your boss got hit by a bus. He's going to be OK. She's going to be OK. But you're the person for the next two months. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some trial by fire stuff sometimes, but um, yeah, I mean, do it, you know, do what you're doing, get good at it and then start with the training part, right? Start branching out. Like, do you need to set up the servers or not? Right. Like how much do you need to know about Heroku or not? Like, does it matter? Uh, is mm-hmm. it important that you can do a, a, a dev stage production environment? Right. Um, if you're an architect, you should know how to build that, set that up and help me debug it when I'm, you know, onboarding yeah. an engineer and his keys are all messed up. Um, I think it's also really important to understand the problems behind those those solutions and those skills. Like, yeah. what, what problems do those skills help solve? Um, there's a phrase that I keep just thinking about more and more recently, which is fall in love with the problems, like not the solutions. Yeah. Um, and... You know, it, it's tough because especially on this show, I think a lot of listeners really, really fall in love with the solutions because oh, yeah. that's that's what makes tech cool. Learning all these cool uh, technologies, um, increasing <sighs> capabilities like that the, so you, you can do gonna, more and more. You're going to love this. Then. OK, so I have a framework. <laughs> People process technology. This is one of those things going into architecture, going into more of the management like you know, tech leader, CTO, you need to know people process technology. I even go people process product technology now. And here's the thing. This is this is the kicker. The tech never matters. Never. I'll tell you right now. The tech never matters. It's the people in the process. You have to systematically solve, resolve people and process issues. Then the tech will happen. Then the magic will happen. Like if you look at the company you're at now and how much you guys focus on tech and how little you focus on people and process, that'll just highlight all the pain that you have in your company, right? Let me, let me talk a little like people process technology, right? When you're a, a, a developer and then you become team lead or dev lead, right? Oh, that means you're now project manager. You might not be a manager directly of these people, right? But you are now leading that team, right? That's people, right? And then there's processes that go with it. Nothing really to do with tech. You need to talk tech. You need to keep people, I don't like the phrase, keep them honest, right? But you need to know what the status and it's accurate, dot, 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 and that you're building towards something good, right? Um, now, on the people side, right, one of the kind of the first most important thing you'll ever learn is role coverage, right? And so what I'm telling you when you go from developer to dev lead is that you now need to know about role coverage, meaning you were just the tech guy before. You were also the tester. Did you know that? But now you're the project manager. And by the way, there is no product manager. You're the guy sitting in the meeting, filtering the features and helping the company decide what to do. So you are also now the product manager. So you went from developer to dev lead. You uncovered one tester you know so now you have four roles you are maybe five because you're now the 
the team lead, the leadership, whatever may or may not go into that. You're the, the developer, the, the QA, and now prod, product and or project, right? That's five. five A lot of hats. Yeah. And you just want to know. And that just knowing that concept just helps you flip, right? Um, if you don't have a software development lifecycle, guess what? Right. Like there's, we'll just leave that question there. Right. But it's process. It's all like process is all kinds of things. Like if you're going to, if you're like going to be building a company and start hiring people, like one of my, my super awesome powers is that I write things down. That's one of my secret powers. I write it down. <laughs> Meaning like if I'm going to build a company, I know I'll have like five engineers in one year, maybe 20 over three years. I write down the onboarding process. I write down like, did I have to get them a desk? Did I have to do that. Uh, we do that for everyone in the company because if you become CTO, you are also responsible for all the, de- you know, <laughs> everything outside of your quote unquote product tech stack. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, when, anyways, I'll pause there. Uh, <laughs> I'm starting to look at my notes and interrupt myself, but um, you know, this pro, oh, oh, so I might have a company wide process of onboarding, which is like, you may or may not be setting up the email accounts and this and that. And then I get to the, the developer part, right? Like if you're, if you're the alpha developer at your company and there's other developers and there's a manager and there's and nobody wrote down the deployment process, like write it down. You know what I mean? Like write down how code gets deployed, write down how your development environment works, write down how code gets promoted, right? Yeah. Um, kind of like I have really complex, simple but complex ways of managing your technical debt and then both assessing it and managing it going forward. So a lot of the questions become, you know, let's say that you roll out a production system. Oh, have you ever backed up your system? Like, oh, yeah, we have. Oh, uh, have you ever restored it? The database? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Do that. Okay, we did it. How long did it take? Oh, I ran it overnight. Well, how long does it take? Then fast forward, that eventually becomes BCP, business continuity planning, meaning everything goes down. How do I get it all back? <laughs> right? From like a, a mountain maybe somewhere. Um, so a lot of these stuff you don't have to do in the beginning. And early in your career, you're not going to know these things. Right? But a good one of the things you might learn like so there's if you're going to become if you want to become a cto um the best possible book you could get is called the art of scalability um like abbott maybe kinney something like that (laughs) that's also a road nearby but it's very close to those guys (laughs) it's very close to that road i'll put it in the show notes yes it's a fantastic book and for me like page by page chapter by chapter i wasn't like oh my gosh this is new but the way it put it all together that's where i really adopted people process technology um role coverage, all these kinds of things, um, you start to learn as a junior guy, you're also, you might not even ever get in a production environment, right? But jump, a jump at the chance. If you get it, be scared <laughs> at the same time, uh, and then hope that it was all written down how you get to access it and get it. Yeah. Or, and if it's not run down, write it down. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, yeah. you're talking about, you're talking about these very larger scope, larger area of responsibility things and making sure that yeah. that's documented. But one of the one of the things that you can do early on is, yeah, your scope might be narrow. You might just be focused on one part of a system, but documenting how you're doing your job, how it's supposed to be run, how to fix particular issues is incredibly valuable. And making sure that that knowledge isn't lost and is updated over time is really important. Yeah. And there, there's... Um, you can then start to learn to do cool things, right? So a while back, I saw a talk on Cypress at JSLA, mm-hmm. right? Which is like a front-end framework for kind of pretty much automating tests, right? You just kind of point and click or use some uh, scripting language. It can click through your, and you can watch it or you can run a headless, right? Um, so I like Cyp- Cypress in part because let's say your company is not good at either validating the products you're releasing or a step before that, even like QA testing and quality testing. Um, 
using something like Cypress, like going to these events, right, learning about kind of, it's one way you can kind of stay in touch with what's kind of current and new, aside from just being right out of school. Um, but with Cypress, right, you can, I could assign a junior engineer, right, to both, if I want to push that junior engineer, I could say, hey, let's work on maybe a framework for kind of validating the product, right? Um, we might do it once or we might try to make it then automated and integrated into our pipeline, right? But you could use a tool like Cypress to, you know, as let's say your your team lead, there's a, it's a whole separate process to learn how to carve out the time to do this. But let's say you, you know how to get some capacity to work on a solution like Cypress, right? Well, how do you maybe tell the business side, hey, we got this not just cool because you don't want to be perceived as cool shiny, but here we have a way of improving our product quality. And then another business benefit, we can get maybe a, you know, a, that this kind of junior skill set to work on this. It's a new tech, but it's really powerful. We can kind of automate some front end tests or automate like, let's say your login always breaks. It can just automate login, make sure that works. Yeah. I mean, again, tying it back to the to the problem. Like if you actually yes. have it, if you find out that users are finding bugs before your team does, that's a problem. And what's a potential solution is using uh, something like Cypress to automate browser behavior so you can very quickly run through the entire app and know immediately if part of it is broken. And I do like that you bring this up because that is, that's like such a valuable. Um, it's also cool, right? It's like, if I said, okay, you're, you, I hired you and maybe it's your fourth month here, but like, I'm going to put you on automating testing. Like that, you know, it's, it sounds boring. It sounds dry. <laughs> Cypress makes, in this case, makes it much more exciting. Right. And dynamic. You know what I mean? You're just, yeah. And then you're actually yeah. learning something. Right. So then you've also tricked yourself or your team members into, you know, hey, there's a technical coolness that's not just tech for tech's sake. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you've you might have gone to the talk and thought it was cool. But then how, you know, maybe you're just the regular engineer, part of like eight people. How do you take that to your team? Right. And say, this is something cool. Maybe your company is so enlightened. You have hackathons and things like that. You could pitch it there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe you have time to somehow do it on your own. I, that gets weird. Uh, yeah. At a company. Anyways. But like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think. Um, but so that's thinking outside your bucket, right? In a sense, right? That's like, oh, but I just want to do front-end programming. I'm like, well, that, I don't know. That that Cypress solution is actually pretty cool for testing, right? It's and then you've got mm-hmm. this cool new thing you can do. Yeah. And then yeah. you can teach other people. And then you don't have to do it anymore if you don't want. Um, right. Uh, so uh, we are just about out of time. So, John, where can people find out more about you online? Uh, so, I am John at FreelanceCTO.com. Uh, so, email is a pretty good way to reach me. And also, uh, LinkedIn.com. Uh, just search for John Scheipel. And uh, you can get to me. And then I also hang out uh, JSLA sometimes. I like that place. And like our uh, Slack. I like Yes, in the Slack. I like the coding soundtrack part two. I like uh, kind of those nuanced conversations about what music helps you, you know, either test or architect. Does it have words or does it not have words? Anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. I'll put both of those in the show notes and uh, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you very much. I really, I hope this is useful and, you know, happy to chat with anyone who reaches out. Absolutely. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortosenior.io.